I have Nat here. Nat, if you'd like to, you know, just go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners who may not be familiar with you. Your links will be provided in the post that we put on Patreon. But otherwise, you know, it's it's your floor to introduce yourself. All right. Hi, I'm Nat. I am a TTRPG writer, designer, editor, uh, professional GM. Uh, spoiler for Lester the podcast. Uh, D&D literally pays my bills right now, and I'm excited for this. Uh, I do freelance work. Hire me. Cool, cool. And those links will be there in case you do want to hire Nat. Does fantastic work. Very good attention to detail. Also runs a great Storm King Thunders game. So there's that, too. How would you possibly know that? I mean, that seems very personal um, information. Insider <laughs> scoop. Uh, um, spoiler, uh, I do play in that Storm King's Thunder game. But that being said, uh, we were talking about something completely unrelated to pro GMing, but I am totally okay with covering things that don't relate to pro GMing. Um, people probably just have to skip ahead, I guess, if they don't want to listen to this. But um, yeah, so... Me having memory issues uh, as far as like affecting both my personal life and my professional life, it really caused me the most problems when I was at a certain point in my career in the Marine Corps. Um, and I think it got progressively not worse, but more pronounced in a lot of ways. Because I, in order to develop and get better at the things that you need to do to be good in the Marine Corps, you have to keep a track of a lot more stuff. So I found that if I was not maintaining a religious note-taking system, I would not be able to retain all the important stuff I needed to know. And there's just a lot of stuff that you cannot either write down or accommodate a lot of the time when you're working in a very dynamic environment. So that was especially difficult for me once I became a staff sergeant. But what it meant was that my skill set was less... As I take a really long pause to think about this, I was less good as a uh, person that would be at the front of the fight. I was much better at logistics and then um, organizing things, training, teaching, instruction, things like that. Um, and I ended up in yeah. operations and I did that for a while. I was the operations chief for uh, an infantry company and then I, they moved me up to battalion to be the, assistants, uh, the assistant operations chief to the master gunnery sergeant and the operations officer. That's a lot of nouns that I don't understand, but I'm sure it's um, impressive. And I mean that in the most genuine um, way possible. <laughs> it was, you know, I don't know. It's like, it was like a role that people generally got regulated to if you were like getting out of the Marine Corps, which I was. So I was okay with it, but it was like a lot of actual applicable, this is how you would get things done in the real world type of job, which is the opposite of the type of job that you want when you're in the Marine Corps. You want the, the gunfighter job, generally. Yeah. And that's what I did for a while. And then, obviously, getting out, like, I don't want that job anymore. So being in operations was, like, really good for me, personally, in figuring out 
how to communicate very efficiently with people and also how to get things done and move things around because that was my whole job and like making sure things happen, following up, doing stuff like that. And that's why I maintain like a very in-depth schedule. And by in-depth, I basically just mean I am attentive to it. And when I feel like I'm lost in the day, I just look at my schedule and remind myself these are the things that I wanted to accomplish today. And on any given day, I usually during working days have two or three games to do, but then I also have one or two things that I want to do for my business. And that right now we've sort of pivoted to me figuring out the right people to put in place to start our marketing campaign. So that was the last couple of pieces that I needed and hire our art director. And those were like the last pieces that I needed to get our crowdfunding campaign off the ground. We just announced that we're bringing Anya Combs onto the team, the former director of games at Kickstarter. I am ecstatic about that, of course. And I feel a great sense of relief um, about it, especially since I have invested so much uh, I hate to use the business term capital, but I have invested a lot of money into this to pay people to do stuff. Um, and yeah, I will continue to do so. Like uh, people that you know personally um, to yeah, do stuff for yeah. their marketing. But anyway, that was a long segue about like me taking notes on my oh. schedule book. Sorry. Yeah, well, so before, and this might be too personal, so feel free to turn turn sure. me down flatly. But before we recorded on, we were talking about how in your interpersonal life, uh, it can be, you know, that those memory issues crop up. And it's really nice to have someone who doesn't make that a problem yeah. when it's present. And I was curious if there's ever been situations where, you know, nobody tried to do this, but someone gets hurt, someone gets upset, or like an actual problem comes up because of that. And... How does what does looking what does moving forward look like? Um, I actually just had this conversation with my ex-wife, um, and she has long felt that I am simply not paying attention, or that I don't care about certain things. But it's really that I just no, literally cannot focus on what people say sometimes if I'm thinking about something else. So, like, for me to do like this podcast, for instance, or any show. What makes it complex for me or difficult for me is that I have to shut everything else out of my brain and I have to do my mental focus uh, meditation prior to doing it. That's why I said we were going to be 10 minutes late because I had to lay down and like focus my brain for us to talk like this. Um, and I do the yeah, same thing for my games. So I have found workarounds uh, around like my mental state. Um, but I don't necessarily think that it has been a great inhibitor in like my relationships with people. Most people have just accepted that's who I am. I know that my family definitely treats me a certain way or takes things a certain way because of the way that I am. But, um, I just tell them like, I can't, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. and and that's I think the sad reality of like not sad reality but it is my reality that I 
if I don't put time with my kids in my schedule book, I don't do it. And I just know that about myself. So I put time with kids in my schedule book. And then I make an effort to do that. Because if I'm not focused on accomplishing the next thing and moving forward and making progress, then because I have such an oversaturation of tasks in many different directions in my life, I will not make time because I don't think to because I'm never not doing something. I'm usually doing something. And if I'm not doing something, it's because I cannot physically or mentally do something. And I have no choice but to shut down. That was a super long answer. Sorry, I um, I just caught I just got off a podcast today, so a different podcast recording. So I'm like in that mode of like answering like super in depth. Sorry, um, sure, yeah, sure. I I can just balance out first. You can ask me a question. I'll give like a forward yeah. answer, and then I'm, I'm supposed to interview you, you right? <laughs> That's how this is supposed to go. <laughs> I don't. What? Are you? Yeah, are you I mean, sure? it, I mean, it is my. I don't know. This is my first episode on this thing, so I really don't know what the format's going to be. You're the you're the test pilot here. Um, I was curious about oh. what you could tell someone that is just getting started. I know we have discussed this sort of at length. I haven't heard the gritty details on a lot of your progression on professional GMing, and I assume that a lot of my listeners are starting out with professional jamming that's how people find me that's how pe- why people follow me so let's talk about that when did you start how did you start and how has it been going it's been going well great <laughs> uh forwards excellent uh no uh i got started because I saw that you were hosting a cohort of people you wanted to help get into this and thought, well, dang, I'm really good at this. And I have a lot of free time on my hands. I could have less free time on my hands and be better at this. Um, so, but when I joined that cohort, I had booked uh, zero professional games. I didn't even have an SPG profile uh-huh. yet. So it was, uh, you know, I was listening a lot to what you had to say. A lot of details going in the noggin. Uh, did a lot of work that now looking back was like, okay, I could have worked a lot smarter than that. But doing work is gets you closer to doing the right work. So, like, if you looked at my, uh, you know, games templates, I was like three or four of them that I never even booked a right. session with because they weren't right yet. And I had to remake it and remake that one and change this and scrap that right. idea, right? Yeah, in game templates, just for so, everyone who's listening, would be the way that you organize publishing your advertisements on Start Playing Games. Um, and that's and it's like a yeah, listing. Yeah. You can create a new campaign for the same game template. But anyway, go keep going on, uh, Nat. Yeah, you have to get them approved by SPG uh, because they, as far as I can tell, because too many people try to use official Wizards of the Coast art. Yeah. But I'm not sure if there's any other reason that makes them require that. Maybe mm-hmm. quality control. Um, and it really, I like to liken it to, like, picking a lock. Um, not like on Skyrim, where you just kind of go do 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 Uh, actually trying to figure out what works, jiggering it until it pops open once, and you go, okay, that worked. 
I'm going to work in this area some more, expand from that, and see if I can do it to get it to spring one right. more time. Uh, at this point, I have, uh, particularly this last month or so, I feel like I've gotten very lucky. I have five games up and running that are weekly now, uh, as well as multiple one-off commissions that are upcoming. And I'm making good, consistent money, at least you know, for within my current goals. Uh, and I'm still trying to ramp up. And by bigger. commissions, do you mean one-shots, or do you mean short campaigns? So I have um, commissions. I, I use the term commission to refer to any game where someone approaches me and says, I want you to run right. this specific thing. Uh, one of those, th- I've had three commissions lately. One of those was for an ongoing campaign, which is now uh, upcoming, which is, which is uh, now progressing. Uh, the second session of that upcoming this weekend. And then the other two are for one shot events that are this next week. And, you know, based on some good advice I got, I'm going to see if I can upsell into being more than one session. But even one session, I, I charge a little bit more for commissioned games because they tend to be more work. I don't think that's an unreasonable stance to take. Uh, but I'd like it to be recurring because you and I both know that the effort in to payment out ratio is much better on things that are continue to roll forward and mm-hmm. recur. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm just going to take a moment here. I don't think I'll edit this out because I will just be cringe on main. But like, I'm so fucking glad we did this. This is great. I love this. I I started doing this on like Twitter spaces, like briefly. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Just like doing a podcast show. But this is fucking great. I love every part of this. Okay. So anyway, moving on. (laughs) I'm I'm doing more of this is what I'm saying to whoever's listening to this. So if there's only one episode out, um, I'm sorry, I've lied to you. But at this moment in time, <laughs> I believe that I am going to continue to do more of this. Um, but yeah, okay, so tell me... I'm glad I'm not boring. Uh, yeah, maybe if my guests sucked the first time, I'm just like, oh, this is awful. Like, <laughs> uh, you didn't tell me it was your first episode. Now I'm just like, oh no, I'm being formative. Don't make me be formative. Um, I did informal Twitter spaces... <laughs> Uh, as like a test run to see if I would enjoy that kind of thing. But yeah, this is going to be the Dollars and Dragons podcast. So and I'm going to offer it for free. People can choose to support me or not. Maybe at some point I will require a little bit of payment to get in, but uh, until the foreseeable future, it'll be free because I don't think that... I would like... I would like the record to show that this is the first time I've been informed of the title oh, of the okay. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you're on the ground floor. Something absolutely heinous. And I would have been like, oh, no. No, you're on the ground oh, no. floor. Like, this is, like, literally, we're, I'm building the set right now while I'm on the mic. That's why we don't have video. <laughs> um, okay. With camera noises in the background. Good job editing those out. Um, for your games right now what are you running and why'd you pick that so my most recent game is a tomb of annihilation game and i picked that because the guy who commissioned that game said descent and reverse or tomb of annihilation you pick and i picked tomb of annihilation because the maps are prettier yeah um, they do have nice maps i've i've, I've run yeah they do i've run both those uh, modules in the past as uh, home games um, which was convenient, so I knew them both relatively well, and I thought uh, TOA, Tomb of Annihilation, would give a better floor and format. 
Now that I already have a lot of the digital setup, I'm considering doing listings for other Tomb games because I do think it's a good, it has a good um, atmosphere with a good attitude for pickup games. It's very light. It's very fluffy. It's got a lot of humor. Yeah. In it. Um, my other ones are a little ongoing. I have a couple Storm King's Thunder games. Uh, Friday is in one of them. Uh, and then I also have a Salt Marsh game. And I list those together because those were my first two game templates that actually fired. I listed them both alongside each other. And they both fired in the same week, which was super stressful. I went from trying to trawl for these to get enough people to actually fire a game to, oh, running these now very quickly and suddenly. Yeah. Um, and those also both, I leveraged my work with MCDM, um, MCDM Productions. I do, I've done creature design for them. I've done sensitivity reading, uh, for them. So I make sure to put that in my listing and it informs a different kind of experience that people are looking for. And Salt Marsh and Storm King's Thunder are both pretty easy to integrate their strongholds and followers rules into. My fourth game template is Spelljammer, which I decided not to try the MCDM stuff with. I still mention that like, I'm a designer for them, but I'm not employing the strongholds and followers rules. I'm not going as hard into that. And, you know, maybe it's bad timing on when I post and when I put that together. Maybe it's um fact that Spelljammer flopped a little bit in public perception, uh, which is sad because I like it. Uh, maybe it's because I was a little bit um, behind it. Timing-wise, I already mentioned timing, but like I didn't put these out right when it was first launching. I did it a little bit later because that's the yeah. time frame I had. But I've only been able to get one of that running, and it's been hard to... I got my four players to launch, and I haven't really been able yeah. to track it anymore. So that one isn't faring as well as the other ones thus far. And it maybe it's because I'm not leveraging that unique selling point of my MCDM and Strongholds and Folders work as as hard. Yeah, I would say um, just based on what you have just told me, um, that is why. And not seeing anything about your Spelljammer listing, are you using some sort of twist to the genre at all? Or are you just running Spelljammer and like you're advertising it as Spelljammer? This one's pretty straight. Uh, it's kind of funny because to say there's no twist in the genre is a little bit of a right. misnomer because there's not much adventure in the Spelljammer right. book. It's like one five to eight adventure, might be five to yeah. nine level adventure. And I am expanding out from that quite thoroughly, but I'm not advertising right. that so much. So I could probably do a better job of dangling that in front of the potential players yeah i actually had this conversation with someone who was advertising spelljammer and what their problem is and i think spelljammer listings have the general problem of is that it can be so broad in the way that the user the client the potential player is looking at the advertisement that it can be difficult to explain what your game is. And what I mean by that is that um, a Spelljammer game can be so many different things. So if you are not actively expressing what your campaign story is, then it is going to be difficult to differentiate yourself from all these other Spelljammer campaigns who have a niche story already in place to explain this is the unique twist that we have on Spelljammer. And I was talking to, I think it was Lou about this, 
And same problem, different listing. Um, and we talked about what they were doing in the first three or four sessions. And I was like, well, if this is the story that you're running for the first three sessions before you release them to the great expanse of space, you should advertise that. Like, you should advertise what the short campaign is before you launch them into space, because that's what binds the entire party together, right? You will have to change the listing information once you get to a certain point. Um, and you'll have varying results with that with your game template, because you can only change the title in thumbnail of a of an active listing, um, or you're changing them all if you're under the game template. But... You can just create more than one. You can also do the uh, recruitment details, yeah, yeah, yeah. too. And, but yeah, you can you can adjust it and like try and make it unique to whichever wherever the party currently is as well. So changing the title is actually more impactful than people realize. And I think it's necessary as you progress in the story. And the, and the story being told is changing. And the story being told is changing every single story arc. Which is why I changed my titles... Yeah. Very frequently in Strahd, because you end up trying to escape the Domain of Dread. At first, you're like, why am I here? And then you get to Velaki, and then Velaki's the plot. And then you change the title to reflect that, so that people come in with the same expectation. And then after that, I have I usually have all of my parties invited to dine with the Countess immediately after Velaki. Well, guess what the title is? Dining with the Countess. So that everybody's like on the same page. Uh, and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's it is very important in your advertisement, no matter what it is, to express what the gameplay experience is going to be like, because then that's how you find the player that's satisfied with that experience, and then they stay on. Okay. So right now, that's what I think you have a problem yeah. with. I have done a little. Yeah. So I have done a little kajiggering with the titles and what have you, because um, I have realized over a period of time. Has been it's been uh, I think four sessions of this Spelljammer game so far, and what's really happened as I've narrowed down and um, read more of the adventure is that I've really constructed it as kind of a Star Wars esque you know rebellion versus the Astral Imperium kind of structure. So it's a little more of a like little guy punching up space opera explicitly, and I have tried to express that in some of the copy a little bit more in some of the uh titles i haven't been able to change like thumbnails not to reflect that as much but thumbnail trolling is harder and often costs yeah. some money so yeah for sure um once you find that specific niche though definitely worth it to to pay an artist to to get in there um or a graphic yeah. designer but yeah for sure Tell me about um, why you think Storm King's Thunder has been working for you. And what was the other one? And those is, yeah. those Salt tell, tell me why you think those have been working for you. So Storm King's Thunder, I've been able to bill it uh, very strongholds and followers, a little more, uh, one might say like old school D&D, &D, you know, Um Things are grim. It's tactics oriented. I get a lot of people signing up who are middle aged and a little less into role playing, and that's fine if like the wow. whole group is just straight attacking uh, me. Just straight attacking that. me right now. 
<laughs> Middle-aged so that don't th- roleplay. Damn. Like, Damn. <laughs> that is, um, that you, it's not all of the people, but it does, it That's is fine. what I get a lot of. In fact, I have had a lot of players join on to particularly like my Sunday Storm King Thunder group be like, and then say, okay, this group's a little wooden mm. for me, but I like you. Do you have another game I can join? And that's now like a chunk of my, um, that's like half of my spell drama table and some of my salt oh, okay, table, okay, actually. Okay. Yeah, people who were, yeah, yeah. who didn't like the straight, crunchy, like I play Warhammer normally, uh, type style of gamer. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. But you're all about that, aren't you? You're, you love that math rock shit, don't you? I I like to say I'm a I'm a D and D's D and D player. I like the math yeah. rock shit. I also like getting into character and you know crying when I'm depicting an NPC. Uh, I just gotta gotta weave and uh, dodge compared to what the uh, player group group gotcha. is looking for. That's cool. No, there's for sure like, and that's the wonderful thing about pro GMing is like. Your style is a perfect fit for for a lot of people out there. So that's good. It's good to know yeah. as soon as possible. What are you? Not what is life. Like you don't need to go that deep, but like what style yeah. of GM are you? And understanding that is very well, important. I do think like my biggest asset working in this space is probably that I am an exemplary GM. And I, that sounds very... Um, maybe hubris filled but this is probably the thing in my life that i am best at i can adjust and weave and i have had i have literally made up in four seconds entire plot lines my party thought i had been preparing for months that's the game isn't it i'm just really really good at thing isn't it yeah Uh, i love doing that so much like you know people like thinking that i've intricately you know and don't tell my players this but I've had that come up several times this past week where they're like, you included all of this stuff about my backstory. And literally, it was me, while they're talking with each other, I looked at their D&D Beyond page, checked the notes. Let me see an NPC I need to use. Okay, I'll use that NPC. And then, (laughs) that was it. That was it. It was just like, hmm, how can I do a little bit better this session and include this player more? And it doesn't take a lot because they're yeah. going to meet you halfway a lot of the time. Uh-huh. And yeah, I find that. I'm sorry, I totally interrupted because I was super excited to talk about that. No, you're fine. You're fine. I mean, I, I say this a lot. I'm talking to people who aren't in the business in the space. But in my experience, you get roughly three types of people. And this is super broad uh, who right. sign up for my games. Uh, you get people who don't have a friendship group to play D&D with and they yeah. want to play the game. Uh, and that you get that in lots of variations. That's the middle-aged couple who wants to uh, have a Saturday uh, night event together, all the way down to, you know, the young person who just bought the book and doesn't have people that they can convince to play with them, right? Then you have people who they no longer have people to play with. And this splits into two categories, either because they're not fun to play with or because the people that they played with weren't able to support what they were looking for entirely, yeah. right? Um, and I find that from this structure, you get a lot of people in the second broad category 
who have kind of been hurt before in D and D to put to you know have a, not have another way to put it. Uh, they've had bad treatment. They've had their backstories ignored. They've had really bad times playing. And if you give them just a little bit to show, like, yeah, I care about you being at my table. I care about what you ca- you've decided for your character's choices. I'm listening. They can really just fill them with joy really easily. Yeah, just even... Yeah, just... It, it's it's a very basic thing. It's like showing appreciation to somebody. A lot yeah. of the time... Yeah. Most people, in order to, like, work hard, all they need is, like, an attaboy or something. Like, hey, good job. <laughs> Love that. And that's it. <laughs> like, and then just, they'll just be happy yeah. with that. And, yeah, for sure. Showing appreciation in ways by uh, either expressing that to each other at the table, um, verbally or privately in a message, in addition to showing appreciation for what they have brought to the table by including it and including others. I think as a player, I found that I became uh, much more enjoyable as a person to play with once I figured out how to enable other players as a player. And working through that and finding like, how do I get this player to be involved in this scene? And then I figure that out in character, or I somehow find a way to pass the ball to that other person playing with me. And that makes them want to play with you more. And like, it really enjoy the process because they're feeling included. Like they were picked for the kickball team, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I sometimes I say this somewhat glibly, but there's some truth to it um, in that people are paying me for something that I can't guarantee for the attempt because. Yeah, I mean, so so D&D isn't something that you can have one exemplary person at the table be there and guarantee that it's going to be excellent. As a DM, we're in charge of a lot, but if the entire party is just planks of wood, they, you know, imagine they were literally planks of wood and they can't say anything like what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, t- truly exemplary D&D sessions are a collaborative mm-hmm. effort. And I think my expertise comes in trying to turn as many different kinds of groups into exemplary experiences as possible. Because there are some groups that come together and they're just cracking off and energy is flying and it doesn't matter if I was a plank of wood, it would, the session would still be great because they're enjoying each other. And there are other sessions where it's much more GM-led, and I need to really be feeding them content and ideas, and then they're going to have a great time. And it's very yeah, right? Yeah. And sometimes groups just don't work. Or you just don't work with a player. And that's fine, too. Yeah. I don't know. I just had a player uh, come back, and like they had enjoyed playing with me. And last time that they had played with me, I was at like 30. And they joined a game that was at 33 per seat. And I told him, I sent him a message. I was like, heads up, my price is going to 40 in December. Just so you know, you haven't played with me a while. I'm just letting you know. And they were like, oh, yeah, that would kill me. Uh, <laughs> they were like, thanks for letting me know. And then they left the game immediately. <laughs> so I'm like, that's a person that enjoyed playing with me. But I didn't change their life. Like, <laughs> yeah, $7. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I made them rethink it. You know what I mean? Just with $7. Yeah. And that's not 
my target demographic. And that's okay. Not everybody's going to have an amazing experience with me. Um, and if they don't, I mean, there's someone else out there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, like I said, it's just about the skill set is trying to turn as many experiences that would be medium into ones that are great, right? Yeah. If that's how I like to say it. I'm also, I also have a degree in communication, so I see a, I have this attitude of seeing, I literally had a specialization in small uh-huh. group communication, so I have a lot of, um, I see groups of people as uh, really? peers sometimes okay. to be jiggered. I mean, not literally. It's I don't look at Friday and see <laughs> turning gears maybe inside right. my head. I'm not sure. But, that would explain a lot. Uh, no, I, I often am able to see a lot of different groups and go, okay, if I can engage this person, they'll bring along this person, and then I can cross-engage them with there, and then it'll start to bring people out of their shells. Where to focus my energy first before shifting, yeah. things like that. My favorite thing to do as a player, and I recommend this to any players listening, because I do it, and therefore it's great. Um, see the confidence. It's all about confidence, really. <laughs> um, but I tell the GM exactly what I'm going to do before I do it um, in order to cause problems and or create fun. So normally, I uh, will all use an example from one game I'm playing in right now, because I think it's important if you're a GM to still play, to understand like a basic, like, this is what makes me happy as a player, so I still retain that perspective about what it is to be a player. That's super important, I think. Especially running a business, because then you need to participate in the business that you're in to stay relevant. Yeah. But anyway, um, there's a lot of reasons to do that, but that's a whole separate talk. But uh, I am running this Blood Wizard right now uh, in this game, and I told the GM, like, I would just like to be like a reformed cultist that is just... Instead of like innuendo that's sexual, because my GM is not, is very like not into any of that sort of content, I was going to do like something a little different because I had a concept that was like that, but it was all like sexual innuendo. And I was like, what if I made it about cult innuendo? And like everything that they did was some sort of like Tina from Bob's Burgers, like attitude about cult behavior. Or something like that. And I just made, like, the weirdest character possible. And they enabled it. And they were like, this sounds really funny. And it has been really funny. Because everything that my character does, the party is just like, what the fuck are they doing? (laughs) And I haven't directly explained it at all. They just know that my character cuts themselves and then casts spells and then does weird stuff all the time. Like, uh the just unexplained like took one of the things that the party found and like didn't explain what it was and was just like i need this and then went and hid in a crate in the ship and the person who later needed my character for something like came to find her in a crate and there was like flashing lights going on in the crate and then they open the and then they call her and then she like moves the crate lid and she like peeks out and you can see the flash of light against her spectacles. Yes. I'm I'm experimenting. And then there was no explanation. And they're like, what are you doing? And then she would just like avoid the question. And that's the sort of character yeah. that I'm playing in a campaign right now. But it still engages the rest of the party because like they're always like Yeah. 
what the fuck is Soleil doing right now? Like, <laughs> like they're just trying to figure out what she's doing constantly. And, you know, it's a fun dynamic to have to engage other players. So I think about that a lot, especially when I play, because for me as a player, I find a lot of fun out of playing off of other people rather than, like, encounters. I think encounters are fun, but I much prefer yeah. to, like... Not necessarily fuck with people, but like basically that's the attitude, I think. Okay. Okay. So, do you also have that thing where there's this dichotomy where your players are thinking, like, ah, oh, we're in a dungeon. This is the most intense, nail biting experience. And you, as a DM who's done this lot, go, dungeons are so easy. This is my relaxed <laughs> time. That's my experience. Um, same with. Uh, dungeons, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm not a dungeon dungeon master. <laughs> are you, are you, are you telling me that there's no dungeons or dragons in your dungeons and dragons game? Uh, uh, not often. Um, I, yeah, not often. I don't put too many dungeons in there. I do. Yeah, I guess I, you know. As far as I'll go on a dungeon, and this is my general dungeon prep, is I follow the five room method a lot of the time. And that's a majority of what I do for dungeons because, like, for me, that is the least interesting thing to do. I love writing dungeons and designing them in a formal way so that people can use them. I do not like designing them for my games that I run, though. I like changing dungeons that exist. And I like writing them for products. That's weird, isn't it? But I don't like doing it mm -hmm. for my games because I prefer to focus my effort on NPCs, plots, things like that. That's where I really focus a lot of my energy and uh, pacing. So I am told that I'm really great at pacing and story because that's all that. And honestly, that is because that's where all my effort is. I don't put a ton of effort into dungeons. Yeah. I put a ton of effort into making the encounters very um, heart-pounding, like very gripping. Yeah. But like, I don't do dungeon design as much. So, yeah. I, I, I see a lot of my philosophy in what you're saying because my biggest piece of advice when it comes to dungeons is usually they can be a lot simpler and smaller than yeah. you're thinking they can be. Don't try to make a Castle Ravenloft. Don't try to make a Tomb of the Nine Gods. Make, like... Yeah. Y y your players, if the dungeon goes more than three sessions, they are going to be so zonked yeah. by the end of that. Your dungeon should have, like, two or three elements that they and can easily remember. And then you play with that a little bit. Exactly. And then, and then the thing about, like, huge dungeons is that they're mostly empty. <laughs> like you can't put relevant shit in all of the rooms like how many different directions do you want your party to go like how are you going to put relevant stuff in more than 10 rooms i made this mistake on my first homebrew campaign Freda, you're assuming i you're assuming i put stuff in all the rooms Freda. you don't just drop shit in them as soon as they <laughs> open the door <laughs> <laughs> just rolling on a chart you know honestly that's how i resolve treasure i almost never have that plan beforehand i just like i just like oh yeah you find and then there's a long pause because i always forget to do it and then i look up a chart and then i start rolling and i kind of make a thing of it because like 
then it becomes a thing that's fun for the players because then it's like, oh, we're rolling dice. And I just ask them to roll. Run a, roll a D100. We'll see what you get. And then that's its own element. I, yeah, that's fun. I, um, I either like it to be, like, that's fun in its own way. Or what I prefer to do is to grab things that I'm looking at other oh, character yeah. and going, this would be good for you. This would be interesting for you. And, like, I'll give weaker mm-hmm. things. So I have this thing. When people find treasure, I don't just say, I don't just say there are boots in this trunk. trunk. There are different things for the different people to find. So I say everyone roll investigation or in perception, go down the list and have different people find different things. Particularly a group of strangers. Don't just drop something in the middle and have them yeah. all fight over it. Because that will ruin the experience for yeah, someone. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I have different people find different things, and the people who have the really pushed character builds, I give them worse <laughs> things. It's not that yeah. complicated. The person who's making the jank ranger rogue right. multi-class that's only attacking once per turn, I gave him a fucking scimitar yeah. of speed. The person with the really with the really powerful uh, fighter build, I, I gave them boots of striding yeah. and springing. Which is still the really cool item that I love. One of my favorite magic items in the whole game. Doesn't really help you kill stuff, though. Yeah, that's that's great advice, honestly. Balancing through magic items. That's fantastic. I love that. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, every time I have a player sign on with an arcane archer, I just pencil in a magic <laughs> item cover drop to give them more arrows. Nice. Every time. As soon as they're like, I'm playing arcane archer, I just, just yeah. put it down in the book. Yeah, arcane archer. Woefully just underpowered yeah needs Need help to. for sure um yeah i have seen and i do like uh in some way a lot of people enjoy like myself the uh the character builds that you can find on either on reddit or youtube there's a youtuber i'm thinking of in particular D optimized is the series um i think his channel name is something different but if you search for D optimized i'm sure you'll find it or you already know about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I just know lots of yeah. really min-max builds because I'm right. the kind of gamer I am. I don't usually have to yeah, watch yeah, yeah. to make them. Fair enough. Not to, not to Fair enough. Um, I, the, and maybe this is the trick that they do with their channel, but I wish they just listed what the build was uh, at the either at the end of the video or in a document. But of course, they got to get that watch time. They're a YouTuber, so... I, I would imagine yeah. that if they opened up a Patreon, if they don't already have one, and they just had like a one or two dollar thing, then people would pay for the builds to be just written out. Um, but yeah, they they do a really good job in creating builds from concepts, and I think that's super interesting and uh, engaging for me as a player too. Is like oh, yeah. if I want an archetype that functions a certain way because I think it's cool, and I think that my character would look cool doing this. Um, then I, that I sometimes base concepts on that, but I generally, I haven't played much D and D to be quite honest. I've been mostly a GM as I'm sure many of our listeners will sympathize, but I went through all of tyranny of dragons with a battle master fighter and, uh, I played a paladin. Build, yeah, it's a good build. Um, killed Tiamat in two and a half rounds. Uh, <laughs> with uh with some potions uh because potions are superior to magic items um for yeah for, often yeah and potion. we uh each character had like four or five like potions we sold like fifty thousand gold worth of magic items to get some potions for that one fight <laughs> this is tiamat you know what i mean that adventure gives you so yeah. much money 
Yeah, we we I had a I had one of the I had the reflection shield, and that was thirty thousand gold by itself. We went on like a long side quest to get it too, and then realized it didn't work against breath attacks. And I was like, "This is useless. <laughs> this is garbage." I once went through and priced. Uh, you won't be able to see this, but uh, every single magic oh, item wow. in the DMG against actually oh, what wow. I thought it was. And now I don't even sell magic <laughs> items to my players. <laughs> yeah, I I remember that was kind of fun actually as part of like the um last part of Tyranny of Dragons was going through the water deep shop and we're all like level 13, 14 or whatever. And we had just spent a year playing this campaign and we're like, what do we want for like five or six sessions where we were just going around and like earning and collecting these magic items? That was a cool like side quest portion of that campaign. Um, the rest of it obviously had a lot of problems, but I mean, like, gearing up for the big hurrah is a is a cool part of yeah. the story arc. I not to uh, jump back to what you said slightly, but talking about like choosing a concept and then building within that uh, and making yourself yeah. effective at that. It's very much how I see it. If you imagine all of what you can do as a D and D player as a giant mural tapestry right. in front of you. I take that little Photoshop lasso tool around exactly that and then say, all right, this is what I'm optimizing for. <laughs> I'm going to do this as yeah, best I can. Nice. Yeah, I um, I for sure think that it's interesting and fun uh, perhaps to design a little bit too. Um, when kit, When players bring you like busted homebrew concepts, um, sometimes it's better to just be like, yeah, I can adjust this to make it work, um, or make it work less good because the problem normally is they come with like a super busted thing to the table if they bring in homebrew, but that's a lot of labor too. So I don't know. I, I typically don't allow anything out of book. Do you? I will always look at homebrew people send me. Um, I have yet to allow any, but I also have really good working knowledge of what's in the game already. So most of the time I'm able to point at things already in the game and say, hey, if you're looking for this, this actually will give you a much more balanced and very sort of yeah. fun example. Like I had a player recently come to me with a um, archetype, fighter archetype for the anime swordsman. And I'm like, you know, that's just a blade singer. You can just be full anime as a yeah. blade singer wizard. And he's grabbed a blade singer wizard and he's been super yeah, happy with yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. I hate blade singers. They're so powerful. It's so annoying to deal with that. <laughs> just fireball them Friday. They don't have any fucking hit points. Just fireball them like four times and they die. Blight yeah. works great too. They have good AC. They have no fucking hit points. They can only counter spell yeah. one spell a turn. Just fireball them. Yeah, just drop like. Uh, with like six wizards against them, and then they're dead. Well, I mean, six wizards that kill most things in your party. So, um, but yeah, they interesting. I I think um for I the know. most part, uh, most of my uh DMing style as far as like how I present encounters to be challenging is I create it, I I ramp it up and just add the damage up to the point where I'm like, okay, well. I don't see a way that they can survive this. And then, then I know it's just powerful enough to be stressful <laughs> because if I go beneath that, the players will just steamroll it because of power creep. So that's where my gauge is. Like I have to like, there's no way that they're going to beat this. 
and then I know I'm just good enough. Yeah. You know what's interesting is that you talk... I, this isn't the only conversation uh, Friday and I, and I have had about this, but you talk about, about yeah. power creep, but I've been DMing five years since the beginning, and I've seen the same types of conversations, but just around action economy uh, philosophy. I don't know about you, but your my tables are pretty big. Six yeah, or seven same, players yeah. pretty commonly. Yeah, um, and that's not really the numbers 5U is meant to right. be designed for. That's Yeah, yeah that's so the problem then. I have, and, and I've designed for, not designed, I've run for really, really big groups. I cut my teeth running, you know, campaigns of 7, 8, 9. I think the best I did was 14 Why? for a, a one-shot. <laughs> um, I had a lot of friends who wanted to play, and I couldn't, I wasn't good at oh, telling people okay, no. Yeah. Fair enough. But instead, I gave him some bad D and D. But my experience running for really big groups is uh, lots of little dials mm-hmm. you had to turn that really change that shit. Like you can't really have a, a boss by themselves, right? Ever more damage, less HP, lots of things. Don't stun players. God, if their turn takes half an hour to come around to, they won't have any fucking. Yeah, I. Yeah, I. I think it's. For me, it's been my development in that respect, especially now that my Saturday Strahd games are getting to level 9, level 10. Um, it's extremely yeah. difficult to challenge them without outright killing them. Because if you don't kill them, they'll just bring everybody back in a turn. Um, the only... Yeah. Well, for one of them, I was thinking, like, generally, the only way that I've able to kill somebody and have it not be a big deal has been because they don't have access to as many diamonds and they just can't bring people back. And that's genuinely what the danger is, is like, you die, like, you're going to have a hell of a time bringing this person back. Um, With the exception of, like, the party that found the Dragon Horde, and I was like, okay, well, you have as many diamonds as you want, I guess, at this point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I add some rules that make resurrection a little less certain. The the core rules straight up have just there's, there's no right. tension in them. You if you check the boxes, so you have like a you, you have a skill check. Happens. Yeah, I have a small skill. I I just use the critical role system. I just like get that. I didn't tell my players that I did it until the moment of, which was probably something I should have covered. But I was thinking like I probably should do that, and then I did it, and then they failed, which was super sad. Yeah. But that session actually turned out really great because the conversation then turned to, oh, well, that diamond didn't work. To and this was the paladin who had the relationship with Irina, so then everybody was really curious, and they were like, well, we're never gonna know if this paladin <laughs> banged Irina or not. And then it became like, how do we get the answer from him? And then they cast Speak with Dead on the Paladin. So this Paladin is like being torn apart in the Amber Temple. Like just, they're just amongst like a horde of like soulless zombies or whatever, tearing them apart. There's a split in the sky and a beam of light shines down. And the Warlock is like, did you fuck Irina? (laughs) Did you? Did you smash them? (laughs) Yeah, um. That was like two hours of just us laughing hysterically to find out if uh, Mordecai fucked or not. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> but yeah, those, that's what those games turn into, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
See, now my, my brain, I'm autistic, so I don't let go of conversation, conversation topics easily. I can blame that. Uh, I'm thinking about encounter balances, though. So, like, for instance, I have a group of seven level sevens uh-huh. that are coming up, and I have yeah. a boss fight coming. I mean, give it minions. What's, what CR do you think they're going to... I'm set prepping for level this Level seven? I would say ten. Tevin, yeah, or actually probably eleven. Eleven or twelve, and then you probably have minions. I'm prepping a CR huh? 19. Uh, <laughs> are they going to survive? So it's worth noting, it's not a legendary oh, monster. Okay, it doesn't okay, have legendary okay. action. It's a big difference. However, it is, it is one I wrote for MCDM. Uh-huh. So it has like a bonus action it can use every round and multiple right. tricks. So it's it's oh, a pretty okay. involved creature. Cool, cool. Is that for yeah. an Arcadia issue that's been out or Flea Mortals or where is this from? That's for upcoming Flea Mortals. I'm using the Blood Sovereign nice. stat block okay. that I wrote. When's that come out, by the way? And if you if you ha- oh, it's slated for like next oh, okay, year okay. this time. Um, that being said, they have little packets that they're putting out with little bits. Like they had one that had a giants in it because they're trying to not make the Kickstarter experience for uh, that book give us money, and then three years later, when you've forgotten about yeah, us, yeah, a book yeah, arrives yeah. in your mail. Yeah, right. They're trying to give a little more oh, along the way. The giant packet is coming out. Oh, it's okay. Out, it's out I'm not going to look at it um, because I'm playing in your Storm King Thunder game. You need to implement that. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's great. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't actually cracked open yet. Fun, fun fact, by the way, this Blood Sovereign I'm using is actually in Storm King's oh. Thunder, so I'm dancing around some of the okay, other okay, details. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, assuming no your, your group follows a similar enough path that could come yeah. up. You, you spoilers me on my own podcast, you're banned for life. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, super cool. I'm looking forward to that then. That sounds really great. Um, yeah, I definitely yeah. don't like yeah. the... Uh, monster manual general stats like written in 2015 or whatever. A lot of those are very generic, not very fun, not engaging. Bag the hit points, especially giants, terrible. As, as someone who designs monsters, you know, for MCDM, not for Wizards of the Coast, to be clear, um, I just don't even look at any stat block from the monster manual for comps. I look at oh. Tome of Foes. And I, I draw all my numbers and everything like that from there. In fact, if you're designing a monster and you're trying to use the table in the Dungeon Master's Guide, it's just wrong now. They don't follow it because their math yeah. has changed. Yeah. Do you use the new Tome of Foes then? Uh, so not Tome of Foes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I use a lot of comps against there. And I, and I calculate my own you know, averages and baselines against what's published there and in and other recent books like right. Bands, for instance. You know... You ought to show me how to do that because I just wing it. <laughs> I just fucking wing it. I'm just like, hey, 46 necrotic damage sounds great. It's in addition to a 2d6 slashing attack plus 10. That's probably enough damage to scare them. Let's do it. Yeah. But if there's a formulaic way uh, to do I, it. You, you, can, you have my choice and you can do all the math. Uh, which I know you're not a very max math rocks person, so I like not. There's that option. The other option is just um, the other option is just uh, spells right. and spell levels. Like if they're level four, you can fireball them. If they're level eight, you oh, can disintegrate okay, them. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, gotcha. That's um, yeah, I I definitely was that DM who 
uh, wanted to challenge my players right away, even when I was just still learning. So I, for sure, have TPK'd my party with an inopportune lightning bolt. Um, and I was like, oh, this will scare mm-hmm. them really good. Nope. Fucking killed them all. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I am the person yeah. who uh, throws fireballs at level three, level four parties in Lost Mine of Fandelver. And like, you know, I, yeah, I am that DM. So... <laughs> You fireball the whole party <laughs> at level four, and they almost lose that fight. I've done that a few times, yeah. but you gotta be careful. Level three, Friday? I, 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 I three? threw it, you know? <laughs> I'm de- you know, that's why I went to Barovia. That's why I read Strahd so much now. <laughs> because I, I make my liches sorcerers so I can have them twin their right. power word kill, and yet you've <laughs> TPK'd more parties. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's how I knew that I, you know, was probably set for more gothic horror type stuff um i actually only started running strahd because i wanted to play it but i never had the opportunity to so it's just like i might as well just fucking run it so that's how i got into it and then i kind of fell in love with it and so i've just been doing that so well i do other stuff but yeah okay yeah it, it, it's a little bit of that and then also i really like role-playing vampires so that's the other thing that's a it's it's it started out as a kink, it. but now it's just my thing. It's like, <laughs> but yeah, I did play a vampire, a dampier in my couple press stream too. So I mean, that there's precedent. Nice. It's just who I am, I guess. <laughs> I'm not the person who wears fangs to like parties or whatever, though. So yeah, I'm sure. I I just like vampire media. <laughs> All right. Um, do you feel like you identify strongly with Lady Gaga's song Teeth? Oh, I don't even know what song that is, so no. Okay, you go. Check out. <laughs> uh, the new interview with a vampire show? Fantastic. Love it. It is mm-hmm. incredibly bisexual. It is so intensely bisexual. Uh, if you're straight and you watch it, you might find out some things about yourself. And on that note, I think we're about at time. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, we are. Oh, God, yeah. Time we were just BSing about D&D and stuff for like so long. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Nat. If you want to uh, go ahead and let people know where to find you. Uh, and also, I will, of course, include all of the links uh, in the post on Patreon for people yeah. to click when they get back to their computers. If you're listening to this somewhere else. Absolutely. Um, if you'd like to stay up to date with anything that happens with me, uh, the two places to look are my Start Playing's profile, which is super boring, but it's true. And you can, any games I post, whatnot. And then the other one is uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm at CrimeNat, K-R-E-I-M-Nat. Yes, that is German. The spelling is weird. That's Great. Why I go for and there'll be a link, so no worries. All right, thank you so much. Uh, This was been. This is what is the name of my podcast? This has been Dollars and Dragons.